God has been working on me this week multiple times. It's, you know, you, know, you got to love those moments when it's that Holy Spirit correction over and over and over again. I, I start preparing this message, this series on judges, because I think at least that will be a safe place. I can just talk about the judges. I can take you through the history of the judges, show you some things. It'll be nice. It'll help you guys. It won't correct me at all. There's no rebuke coming my way. And all of a sudden, I start studying this, and God's just scolding me left and right. I'm like, thanks, God. Uh, Apparently, I needed it. Um, You know, and last week, I started telling on myself a little bit about how... um, especially with like the weight loss and the pride aspect of thinking that I can do it on my own and, and not wanting to get into that. And that's one of my human nature weaknesses of pride and just, oh, look at me, look what I've done. I'm absolutely amazing. I'm God's gift to men. I still believe part of that. I have to correct myself when I do it, make sure it's within balance, not to think of myself more highly than I ought to think, but soberly. Understanding that God did this, and it wasn't me and my own strength. And then I get in this week, and we're going to start looking at Gideon. And looking at Gideon in the sixth chapter of Judges, and it goes into the seventh chapter, and this story is just, man, it's good. It's so good. And one of the things that I notice is that God, through a lot of these stories, he's starting to use people in their weakness, He's trying to use them in those weak moments because, honestly, if you think about this, if we are weak and he comes in and does all the work, we can't take the glory. If anything else, he gets even more glory because of that. And I I can't help but when I see these things in the scripture and then I see it playing out in my own life, I start to take a step back and then I look and I see it happening all around me in the world when we think we can do things in our own strength. And all of a sudden, it's like God is saying, wow, you foolish people, you thought you were that smart. How about you trust me? And then I can actually help you. But when you keep trying to play God, it's just not going to work. And it's like we can't see this whole picture that's going on. And, and I know in my own, you know, physical shape, I can't see what's going on. I can't see how God can use that and, and how he's going to turn around, how he's going to keep me out of this, this pride and yet use it for his glory. And because I can't see that, I start to resist that because the only glory that I can see that could come out of it is my own glory. And then me probably with a false sense of humility, is trying to prevent my own glory, which now that as I say it, it's actually preventing God's glory. Which is good. I, I, I like this preaching. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, and I don't know what area your life God is trying to do something in, but I do know that in every one of our lives, he's trying to do something. God's trying to show up in those areas where we struggle where we're weak, where we don't quite have enough strength. And he's like, hey, I'm here and I can do this for you if you'll just let me. And it's, it's kind of like when somebody asks for your help. Have you ever had this moment where somebody asks for your help and you go over and you try to do it and then they get their hands in the way? And it's like, 
you asked for my help. Get out of my way. If you want me to help, I've got to do it my way. I can't help you your way because your way is what needed my help in the first place. And all of a sudden, I see that in my own life where it's like, God, I need you to help. And he's like, then get your hands off of it. Let me help. You're trying to show me how to do things. And that's kind of what it's like. You know, it's like I'm telling God, well, yes, I want you to help me in this area, but I want you to do it my way. Because I think my way is going to help me. God's like, you've already been doing it your way. And how well has that worked out for you? Do it my way. And so I've got to learn to kind of take my hands off the situation and just trust him. And see, this, this story of Gideon is just, man, it's, it's remarkable. It's probably one of those that the more I read it, the more I see these little things. I, and I don't know, maybe it's because I've, just, I've read the Bible so much that I read these stories enough. And all of a sudden, I read it again. And I was like, well, I never saw that there. You know, it's kind of like watching your favorite television show, your favorite movie. You know, it's the second time you watch it, all of a sudden you see something that you didn't see the first time. And then the third and the fourth and the fifth. And at some point it's like, oh, I think I've got the whole thing memorized. And then you watch it and it's like, well, I don't remember that being in there, but that's pretty neat. And that's what I see in this story. And so what I really want us to do is, this is going to be slightly different because we're just going to kind of start and go through. There's so many different nuggets, these little things inside this, that we're just going to follow the passage And as these things jump off the page to me, I'm going to throw them at you, and hopefully they hit you upside the head the way they hit me. So if you got your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, Nancy's going to do her best to try to keep up with me. And if she does a great job, make sure to give her lots of thanks and appreciation, some gratitude for it, because she's got zero preparation. I just walked back there six minutes ago and told her what scriptures to go. And I was like, hey, it's somewhere in here. Just follow along. (laughs) So uh, Judges chapter six. See, right now, Nancy doesn't even know where we're going. Maybe she does. No, she doesn't. Um, Judges chapter six. Let's see, where do I want to start here? Let's go up and actually in verse 11. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was, when, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, let's stop right there because in my New English translation, or not New English, it's the uh, New King James, that word it, and in your Bibles you might see that, that word it, if it's actually there, it's probably italicized. And what that means is that word is not in the original manuscripts. They added it in there to help clarify the passage. Unfortunately, I believe them adding in there actually confuses the passage. Because Gideon wasn't trying to hide the wheat. Gideon was trying to hide himself. He was afraid of the Midianites. And so he was there in the wine press hiding. I'm going to do my work. But instead of let's thresh out on the threshing floor where everybody else would, oh, I'm going to go hide in the wine press. Because they know that I thresh the wheat. But they're not going to look for me in the wine press. 
it, it wasn't about hiding the wheat. It was about hiding himself. And this is just something to, to keep in mind as we go through the story, because all of a sudden, Gideon's showing some fear here. Verse 12, here's how the Lord responds. Angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Wait, hold on a second. He's just in the wine press hiding, and now God's like, you're a mighty man of valor, hiding like that. <laughs> just, but, but here's one of those things that oftentimes God doesn't see the way that we see things. He doesn't see things the way he see. Gideon, look what he says. Gideon's like, uh, in verse, uh, let's go, 13. Gideon says to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this all happened to us? And where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he says to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I in the least in my father's house. God's saying, you go, and here's what we're going to do. In your might, in your strength, in your power, I'm going to deliver the enemies into your hand. And Gideon's like, I don't understand this, because my family are a bunch of weaklings. And out of all the weaklings... I'm the runt of the litter. And, and you want me to, to be this one. This doesn't make sense. It just, it doesn't make sense. Well, Gideon was not a mighty man in his view. But God isn't restrained by what we see. He's not restrained by our reality. Gideon is only seeing what is directly in front of him. He's only seeing what he's ever known. He can't see what is unknown. It's that old saying that you don't know what you don't know. And, and Gideon didn't know what he didn't know, but God knew what Gideon didn't know. And that's why God was calling him according to God's knowledge, not according to Gideon's knowledge. God knew what was going to happen. And he's like, oh, come on, Maddie, man of valor. I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hand. And Gideon's like, I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I love this because this kind of story goes on. God's telling him to do some things. And he's like, hey, I want you to do this. And I want you to do that. And, and actually, one of the things that he tells him is, you know, this, this worship that you guys have been doing. You've been worshiping Baal. You've got this altar to Baal. Guess what, Gideon? I want you to go tear it down. I want you to tear down that altar. And if we start to catch up on this, uh, let's, let's go to verse 27, actually. It says, So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Here's this mighty man of valor who is more afraid of his father and the people, but he, he still fears God. He respects God but yet he also fears men. And so because of that, Gideon, in the same natural strength that he has of hiding in the wine press, wants to hide in the cover of night when he does this. 
what winds up happening is you can kind of read down here and he does it. He tears down the altar and the people are, I mean, they're just going crazy. They're like, why would you ever do that? Now Baal is going to respond and he's going to wipe us out. Maybe we can just ask Baal to take the person who did it. Whoever did it, raise your hand. You can be the one. And then they realize that it was Gideon. And so what they actually call him, is you can look down here, it's in verse uh, 32. It says, therefore on that day, he called him Jerubal, saying, let Baal plead against with him, or against him, because he has torn down this altar. So they not only recognize who it is, they then change his name. You're the one that goes against Baal. And that's what we're going to call you, the Baal hater. From here on out, that's who you are. And so they just start calling him Jerubal. But Gideon, I love this because this is in verse 32. Let's look at 33 and 34. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together. They crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. I, I love this because here is Gideon. This guy who is hiding in the wine press because he's afraid. This guy who refuses to take down the altar of Baal in the day because he's afraid. This guy who says that he's the runt of the litter of the small clan of his family. This guy with all of those flaws is the one who the spirit of the Lord came upon in spite of everything he was doing in the natural, God placed his spirit upon Gideon. He places his spirit upon him. Why? Because God's view is not restrained by our reality. He's like, okay, you see that, but I see something different. I see you, Gideon, as a mighty man of valor. I see you as a deliverer. I see you as the one who is going to take out the Midianites. I see this happening. Even when you can't see it, I can see it. So do what I'm saying to do. He's telling him this. See, Gideon may have been under the shadow of the Midianites, but God wasn't under their shadow. Gideon may not have been able to see past his current situation, but God could see past it. Gideon may not have behaved the way that we would consider God's children to behave. But that didn't stop God from using him and placing his spirit upon him. Why? Because God still wanted to save his people. Verse 36. Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's any dew on the fleece and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And then it was so. Wakes up in the morning, squeezes the fleece together, and he wrung out dew from the fleece in a bowl full of water. God shows up. God's like, oh yeah, I told you I was going to do it. Here's what I'm going to do. But look at how Gideon responds. Gideon says to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. 
And it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all of the ground. So Gideon questions God's word. Or maybe Gideon questions his ability to understand if it was God's word. These are the only two logical conclusions that we can draw from what Gideon did. He was either doubting his ability to discern God's voice, or he was doubting God's faithfulness. One of those two. Either one, if you attend the faith-type churches, we would say, that's wrong. You should not doubt. You should not doubt. Don't doubt. Doubting is bad. And, and don't be afraid either. You, you can't be afraid. Fear is the opposite of faith. And doubt is just evil. Doubt means you have no faith too. And I just push back on these teachings that I have even taught at times. Because I don't see them as being biblical. Let me put it this way. You've, you may have heard that, and I may have even preached it here, that fear is the opposite of faith. Well, that's wrong. I'll tell you why it's wrong. Fear is a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is an action. Faith is a choice. And people will sit there, and I've, and I've heard this, and I've had other ministers that have kind of debated this with me, and they're like, yeah, but... Fear is a belief, and it's a negative belief, whereas faith is a positive belief. And I push back on two points, because one, faith is not believing. Faith is acting upon a belief. Faith is belief in action, is what that is. And yet fear is not always a negative belief, because we're told to fear God. I mean, fear is really just about respecting something and the consequences that come from not respecting it. But it's where do we put our fear in? Do we fear man or do we fear God? You could also then just say that fear can be used synonymously with trust. Is your trust in men or is your trust in God? Where's your fear at? And then we get those that will say, and I, and I know I've said this, that you, you can't operate in doubt because doubt is unbelief. No, doubt is just doubt. Doubt is saying, I, I think this is the right thing, but I don't know if it's the right thing. And again, doubt doesn't cancel out faith. Doubt doesn't cancel out faith at all. Because even though Gideon was still doubting things, I mean, this is farther on. He's like, I mean, God told him this back at the beginning of chapter 6. And here's the end of chapter 6, and he's still showing his doubt. But that didn't stop him from faith, from obeying, from actually acting upon what he believed, even though there was a doubt. I think this is God. I'm pretty sure this is God. And he told me to tear down the altar, so I'm going to tear down the altar. But God, don't be angry with me, but I'm just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm really hearing you or if maybe I'm just imagining this. So if it's you, let's just, let's make some dew on the fleece. Okay, so there's dew on the fleece. Now, please don't get angry. I just want to test this again. 
Now, do I believe he was testing God? No, I don't believe he doubted God's faithfulness. I believe he was really doubting whether or not he understood God's faithfulness. That's the interpretation that I would extract out of this. Because God doesn't get angry with him, and that's something for all of us to understand. When there is doubt, God's not getting angry with us. God is coming down to meet us where we're at. All God's looking for is obedience. And if God can help us to be obedient, oh, he's going to do that. He loves to do that. And that's what he is doing here. I mean, regardless of this motivation that Gideon had, regardless of his doubt, we can find comfort in the fact that God had compassion on Gideon with where he was at, had compassion on him in his weakness, and God did repeat himself. And he repeated himself clearly so that Gideon would obey. And I look at that and I'm like, mm, how many times? I just, I doubt. How many times that I sit there and it's like, I, I, I question, God, I, I don't feel you around me. I don't feel your presence like I used to feel your presence. But yet that doesn't change my faithful obedience to him. And that's the great thing about faith. It's not a feeling. And oftentimes when the feeling is not there, that's when faith rises the greatest in us. Oftentimes when the doubt is so strong, our faith can rise up in the greatest manner. Because everything inside us is saying, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. But there is something deeper inside us that rises up and says, I'm going to do it anyways. And that is faith. There's comfort in seeing this story. And reading where Gideon was at, because then I start to realize, God, I don't know how you're going to use me in that manner. And I'm afraid that if we go down this path, God... I'm going to easily slip back into pride and arrogance, and I don't want that. And I'm afraid of that. I'm hiding in the wine press. I want to do it in the cover of night. God, just show me a sign. And what does he do? He meets me where I'm at every single time. And he's like, oh, Josh, you want a sign? You remember, you know, months ago, you decided you wanted to do a series on judges, right? You didn't see what I saw. And guess what's going to happen this week? You're going to learn about Gideon and how I used him in his weakness. How Gideon's fear and doubt would creep in. And I use him anyways. Why? Because God chose to put his spirit on him. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I didn't see that. I mean, when I was charting this thing out. I, I didn't see that. And yet here's where God pulls out. And you can think a few weeks back when we started this series. You had no idea where it was going. You couldn't see where this was going. But those areas in your life that you're struggling with, that there's some fear and there's some doubt in, all of a sudden God's like, hey, let's talk about Gideon. I want to show you what I did with him because it's what I want to do with you. And then we see what happens. And this is, oh man, this gets so good. All right, let's strap in. Let's read a little bit. Chapter 7 of Judges. 
Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them and the hill of Morah in the valley. And Gideon said to, or the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, say, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. God doesn't even shame them. You're afraid. You're full of fear. All right. No worries. I got other people that can do it. If this is where you're at, I can use someone else. If your fear is going to prevent this, that's fine. God's not striking them out in anything. God's like, it's actually kind of good that you're afraid in this situation because now we can start to use these other people. Because now even in your weakness, I'm able to be strong. Do you see that? The people of Israel, the weakness of them that were fearful, that were afraid, God uses that fear, uses that so God can be strong. Oh man, I love this. It gets so good. 20,000 or 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Oh, two thirds of the people were weak. And God's like, that's all right. I'm going to save y'all. Even in that weakness, no worries. But then the Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Let it be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whoever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who drinks or gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those people who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man into his place. 10,000 remained. And of that 10,000, only 300 lapped up the water like a dog. And God's like, I'm going to use those. Now think about this just for a second. If you're one of the 10,000 and you're kneeling down and you're trying to drink water in what would seem like a dignified fashion, and you look over at somebody that's acting like a dog, you're going to think they're strange and weird. Something is wrong with them. There are 10,000 of us and there are only 300 weirdos over there. But God wants to use the 300 weirdos. I don't know about you, but now I really want to be a weirdo. I want to be the strange one that everybody looks and is like, what is wrong with that guy? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me, but God made me this way and it must be great. So let's get to busy. And here's what happens. God uses those 300. I love this. People, let's go to verse, uh, actually, let's go down to verse nine. It happened the same night. The Lord says to him, arise and go down to the camp for I have delivered into your hand. But, but, if you are afraid to go down, go to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost 
of the armed men who were in the camp. Why? Because he was afraid. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon Gideon. God has answered him numerous times, confirming this is the word and this is what's going to happen. And he's still afraid. He's still afraid, and God still doesn't shame him, doesn't rebuke him, doesn't correct him. He's like, you may be afraid, but you're still operating by faith and doing what I've told you to do. You're being obedient to my word. I'll deal with the fear. If you're afraid, if, this is, if there is something here that is preventing you from obeying, here's how I'm going to help you obey. And God gives him the ability to get beyond his fear. God doesn't reject him because of the fear. He helps him through the fear. God's word is all about that. Fear not for I am with you. God is constantly telling us and constantly showing us that we don't need to be afraid. But even if we are afraid, he wants to take us out of that fear. He wants to show us how to live our lives without fear. And that's what he's doing with him. So he goes down. Verse 12, the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell over and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped, returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. All of a sudden, God meets Midian or meets Gideon where he's at, helps him to get past this fear, shows him once again, here it is. Here's the dream. Here's the interpretation. And so then Gideon rises up beyond the fear, goes back and he's like, guess what? God said it. It's about to happen. He's like, this is going to happen. He finally buys in. He finally gets it. He starts to understand it. He sees what's going on at this point. He starts to see what God has seen. And he starts to believe what God has said. In such a way that now he is obeying it without question without doubt, without fear. He's finally getting this. And what happens? They go. They go down there. If you look at this, it says, verse, let's jump to verse 24. Gideon sent messengers through all the mountains in Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and seize them from the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering as far as Bethbara. And they captured the two princes of Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb, and they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. After they rise up, after those 300 surround the camp and blow their trumpets, and everybody starts to battle amongst themselves, killing themselves off. We got to get out of here. Gideon and his mighty men are coming after us. All of Israel is against us. 
it was 300, and they're blowing trumpets. They're blowing horns. They all start wiping out each other. And the few that escape, he's like, all right, now go get them, because here's where they're going to be. They're exhausted. They're parched. They're going to the watering holes. Get them. Bring me back their heads. The runt of the litter, the one who by all worldly standards could never be used by God, was used by God. See, what happens in our lives is that it's not just that we're doubting what God has said to us. We're doubting God's ability to use us because we doubt ourselves. Why would God choose me? Why would God use me? I mean, God, you obviously realize that like my clan, a bunch of stubborn, arrogant Dutchmen, you're really going to use them? You got better options out there, God. And then me, out of all of them? Man, I'm always trying to get myself in trouble. And have you seen what this mouth can do? This is who you want to use, God? And what does God do? Uses every one of those weaknesses to show off his strength. See, in the last, what, 14, 15 years since I've been saved, I've not had one person call me arrogant. I've had many people compliment my humility. I know me in the natural. There is not a humble bone in my body. But yet humility comes out. And this mouth has gotten me in trouble since it started to work. And sometimes it still does. But yet God uses this mouth to help people. Because God not only has his spirit upon me, he has his spirit in me. And he starts to speak using me. See, the great thing is that the humility that I have is not my humility. It's God's. He graced me with it. The the wisdom that comes out of my mouth is not mine. It's God's. The help that I'm able to provide is not in me, apart from the one who is living in me. It's it's all from God. And when I can get that, and when I can understand that, when I can start to look back on my life and see all of those areas, then all of a sudden I can realize If God was able to do it then, he can do it now. If God has helped fix this area and shown his grace, his power to be strong in this weak part of my life, well, God can show up and show off in this part of my life. See, this is something that the Apostle Paul knew and recognized. I think you've got 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 maybe. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You want God's perfect strength in that area of your life that you need his strength in? Start bragging about your weakness. Bragging about your weakness, saying, God, I'm, I'm the least of my clan and my clan ain't nothing. All of a sudden, that makes us recognize our weakness and then identify God's strength. It gets us to a place where we are glorifying God. See, for thousands of years, Israel was trying to go through all of these rules, all of these rituals, all of these laws, trying to save themselves. And they kept falling back in this same vicious cycle of, I trust you, God. Yes, everything is good. I'm going to do whatever I want. Oh, it's all bad. Help me, God. Over and over and over again, they keep going through this. And it wasn't until God sent his grace down in the form of Jesus that Jesus shows them a better way. He's like, you've been trying to save yourself, but the problem is you keep putting yourself up on a cross and you die. And you don't know how to be raised from the dead. Let me take your place. And Jesus goes up on that cross and he puts himself up as a sacrifice in our weakness His strength was made perfect because he not only dies that same death that we would have died, but he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated the greatest enemy that mankind will ever face. He conquered the grave. He became immortal. And he is saying, if you will just trust me, And let me do the heavy lifting for you. You'll have eternal life as well. You'll live forever. And the hard part for us as Christians is that we can get our minds wrapped around that. We can get our minds wrapped around the fact that God is going to take us into eternity with him. But we struggle to believe that if God can take us to heaven, he can bring a little heaven down here and fix the areas in our life that we struggle with today. But his power is the same because he is the same. And if God is able to resurrect our life, he can resurrect anything else in our life. When we realize that and we see God winning these battles, all of a sudden we can press in deeper and say, all right, God, I'm struggling I'm weak, I'm afraid, and I got a lot of doubt. But I know you. I've seen your faithfulness, and I've seen you do it again. Help me get past all of these obstacles that are in front of me, because I want to obey you. And if you've called me to do it, I need your help, because I can't do it on my own. And that's when God shows up. And sometimes that's when God peels a little bit more of us away, and he's like, oh, no. You still got some strength here. Let's humble that a little bit more. Let's take that 32,000 down to 300. Now let's see what we can do. See, whatever area we're struggling with, whatever you're going through, I want you to see how God used Midian or Gideon to defeat the Midianites. God is using the weak link Because when we're struggling, we feel like the weak link. And God will use you in the same way that he used Gideon to provide salvation, deliverance, and restoration to his people. 
And when God wants to restore you, he wants to use you. Just trust him. The doubt comes in. Okay. Acknowledge it. Don't hide behind it. God already sees your doubt. God already sees your fear. Don't lie to yourself and say that you don't have doubt and that you don't have fear. Instead of just be open and honest with God and be like, hey, I'm struggling here. I need some help. I know I should know better, but I don't know better. Help. And every time we ask God for help, he helps. And when he gives us the help, we can't help but just to say, praise God. Look what he has done. So in those areas of your life, just be honest. Have a real conversation with God, just like Gideon did. God, I don't want you to be angry with me because I'm doubting. I don't want you to be angry because I'm afraid. I want to serve you. I want to believe to the point that I actually follow through with it. I want faith to be in operation, but I need your help. And I guarantee there is no doubt in my mind. If you will do that, God will show up. God doesn't play favorites. If he did it for Gideon, he'll do it for us. Let's pray.